Okay, The Talking Book is a 501c3 nonprofit audio publisher of independent literature. We're in Asheville, North Carolina, and because we're a nonprofit, we depend on donations from our listeners and supporters of independent publishing. So if you want to get involved, go to thetalkingbook.org. That's thetalkingbook.org. You can join our Patreon, uh, or you can come to Asheville and hang out with us, and we can record your book. We record books for authors and publishers. We'll make your audiobook. That's what we do. Hit us up. Uh, anyway, thanks so much for your support. Here's the show. Love ya. Hey, friends. This is Chris Hartram, and this is the Talking Book Podcast. That's what you're listening to, uh, where you hear your favorite writers and ones you've maybe never even heard uh, reading their work. It's a beautiful sunny day in Asheville, North Carolina, blue skies, green grass, uh, 80 degrees, uh, which is a pretty big contrast to uh, the strange things happening in the world and in our country. Times are tough, uh, and sometimes we all just want to say fuck it, but maybe don't say fuck it and just try to be useful and listen to awesome writers like the one you're about to hear. Nicolette Polek. Her short story collection, Imaginary Museums, is out now from Soft Skull Press. Uh, Nicolette is from Ohio, and I'm also from Ohio. Uh, Good place to be from. Anyway, I've been trying to get a reading from her because her book is fantastic, and she seems like a really cool, smart writer, and I hope you enjoy this reading. Uh, Here is Nicolette Polek and an excerpt from her book, Imaginary Museums. I'm Nicolette Polek. I'm going to read two stories from my collection, Imaginary Museums, out from Soft Skull Press. The Nearby Place A girl is pushing an old man down the hallway, and they pass many windows out of which the old man cannot see. The place she's taking him, she says, is bright and at a perfect temperature and humidity level. There will be towels and a toothbrush and a bowl of the candied dates he especially likes. There are newly added massage chairs and a cabinet filled with hand warmers, markers, and AA batteries, and when he gets there, he can write whatever he likes on his name tag. A woman approaches them and hands the old man a clipboard with forms to fill out. She says that the place is entirely covered in a bluish light, that there are trees to sit under if he wants to be alone, and small animals that will protect him. There is a black porcelain swimming pool filled with many beautiful people who are excited to meet him, and he will be given elegant gray stockings to wear. Where he is being taken, wires are obsolete, and at night there is a hidden table for him to eat cookies and gaze upon the moon. The man gives the woman back the clipboard, and she blows him a kiss before disappearing behind a door. The girl and the old man stop in a small restaurant and split a strawberry pie. We're almost there, she says, and the waitress tells the old man that he'll be able to see the whole place at once, and in the distance there will be a house from which his mother looks out at him fondly. After they finish eating, The girl pushes him faster down the hallways, turning left and right, 
so the windows pack pass quickly when the old man stretches his neck towards them. She tells him that he deserves to live in this place, that this is the place just for him. The hallways slowly start to dim. The trip to where the old man is being taken has been long, so the girl pauses to use the restroom, leaving him behind. Many people are walking down the hallway in a hurry to get to their homes and must move around the old man, causing them to occasionally bump into each other. One person drops her coffee in file folder. As she picks up her things, the old man tells her where he is going, to which she says, I know a few people there, and they are all very happy. She has a dog with her, who makes a cheerful sound when hearing about the place. The old man wants to pet the dog's head, but the person leaves. A couple, who the old man does not recognize, moves the old man to the side of the hallway, puts him in an elevator, then wheels him into a small room. When he tries to tell them where he is going, they furrow their brows and tell the old man that the place does not exist. They turn off the light and close the door so the people no longer have to walk around him. The room is empty and clean. There is a crack from under the door which is how the light gets in. He waits there and folds his hands in his lap. He waits there, remembering the things that the girl told him, imagining the tropical trees. He thinks about the many seagulls to count as he goes to sleep. Almost a hundred seagulls, she'd said. A House for Living the mathematician moves into a glass condominium with 14 doors and has nightmares about the rooms behind them switching places. Sometimes she opens them to find a rival mathematician sitting on a long velvet couch. The rival has a retentive memory and a svelte build, while the mathematician has neither. The mathematician redesigns her staircase so that some steps are very tall and some very short. She supposes this will help exercise her heart, but grows accustomed to the patterns rather quickly and starts tripping down traditional staircases at work. Whenever this happens, the rival always happens to be walking by, eating radishes. She redesigns her light switches, trash cans, faucets, and ceiling fan. She learns about carpentry and electricity, she drills doorknobs high on all her doors so that she must stretch throughout the day to reach them. She begins to think things like, great virtues come to those who are challenged. She puts the volume on her phone on the lowest setting so that she must always listen closely. Perhaps if the mathematician infuses every mundane activity with stimulus, she could unlock the graying parts of her brain. She calculates that all these adjustments combined could add eight years to her life, which is the amount of time it takes to build a public school or for a message in a bottle to cross the Atlantic Ocean. She loses her balance at the grocery store and topples into a man wearing a trench coat. She invites him over for dinner and wears a low-cut blouse, but he finds her gymnastic palace quite disturbing 
and looks at the mathematician blankly when she speaks. The rival rides by on a motorcycle and sees him escaping through her slender bathroom window, his sweater snagging on a thorny locust tree. One morning, she touches her head, which throbs, and finds a murky residue. On the pillow beside her is a gray lump, translucent, translucent like a cube of gelatin. The mathematician prods it and notices an odor similar to talcum powder. Beneath it is a small stain that is impossible to wash out. Perplexed, she keeps the lump in a glass jar in the refrigerator. Months pass and she observes it, trying to determine if it has moved or changed. Sometimes it appears swollen, wetter, even sadder. She'll close the refrigerator door, having forgotten what she was hungry for, and go to the computer to calculate something untenable. The mathematician's sleep and appetite decline. She ignores phone calls from the rival and loses the motivation to contend with her rigorously designed home. On some days, she finds herself having a vision. In it, she's watching her house burn from a parking lot. On other days, she finds herself carrying the jar out into the yard and setting it before her, the lump gleaming like something alive. That was Nicolette Polek and her book, Imaginary Museums. You can go get this book at your local bookstore. If you live in Asheville, you can get it from Malaprops. Um, you can go to softskull.com. Um, Deb Olin Unferth, who is the author of Wait Till You See Me Dance, which is a book we recorded with her, she says this about imaginary museums. What are these? Weird parables, dark dreams, warnings about the afterlife, death, marriage? Like the best writers... Polek is willing to go to a disturbing place and stay there. She will not save our hero. She will join the shadowy forces and lead us in. So that sounds like something I like. Um, so please go get that. Support indie writers and publishers, you know. Uh, you should also go listen to our new recordings, audiobooks from the talking book like Essays and Fictions by Brad Phillips, uh, The Ice Cream Man and Other Stories by Sam Pink. The Diary of Anais Nin, um, all great recordings, uh, amazing narrators. Get them while they're hot. Uh, we just released those. So not kidding. Yeah, thanks for listening. And new readings coming soon. And do the right thing. And everything's happening. So love you. Have a great day. Like a bishop who has forsaken sympathy. Chasing sister squares I was lit Before I knew that you were there Like an angel Who has forsaken certain Sleeping in the square I was
the storm was past.